Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. This month kicks off September's space and alien horror theme here at Daily Horror Habit, but before diving into older fan favorites, which I'm sure I'm going to cover with some of my guests, I figured there'd be no better place than to begin with something a tad more contemporary, that being Jordan Peele's latest UFO horror genre mashup, Nope. Nope follows brother and sister horse wranglers Otis O.J. Haywood, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and M, played by Kiki Palmer, who, after suffering a bizarre family tragedy, attempt to capture footage of an unidentified flying object. And joining me to chat Peel, UFOs, and space is none other than returning friend of the show and one-third of the Nuclear Fridge podcast, Mr. Stuart Gears. Stuart, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, you know, since uh, Jake and... Matt didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking before, before we were recording the show that uh, anytime I'm listening to your guys' podcast, I'm trying to capitalize on the fact that when you bring up something that you want to talk about in depth and don't always get to, you know, expound upon as much as you'd like to, I'm kind of like scooping up that opportunity to have you on as a, a guest. So I'm really excited to have you back to chat and about Nope and maybe... Uh, a little more depth than you were able to. I was excited when you asked me, and you know, I'm ready. I'm game. <laughs> so you and I previously have chatted about, you know, not only horror movies extensively, but about Peel's previous two films, Get Out and Us, and kind of how those movies landed for you. And so I guess for the listeners mm-hmm. in general, it would be nice to kind of just start with a baseline of, you know, for you, what about Peel's approach to horror has made him, you know, a distinctly unique voice in horror for you? Well... I think for me, uh, which I mean, there's there's been a good amount of directors that have been doing it lately, but I do definitely appreciate his more personal approach and focusing on on characters before I shouldn't say characters before horror, but he definitely wants you to connect with who you're going to be going through this journey with before delving into the dark shit. Uh, and I think he's really good at I mean, he's definitely and his, I, I mean, we'll go more into it later, I'm sure. But it, especially with us and Get Out, I mean, there's definitely, you know, social commentary there that he wants to give. And there's, I mean, there's some there as well in Nope. But uh, in Get Out and Us, he definitely had that be a bit more forward. But as far as m- me with him, I, I think he's done a great job so far. I'm definitely a fan of his as a horror director. I think. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Get Out. When I saw that, I, I it's li- it's literally just like a a really well done and and, and fucked up Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait, wait, are we allowed to swear on? I, I can't oh, yeah, remember. Absolutely. I, <laughs> shit. Oh, okay. I, this is one of the recurring bits on the show where I'm just like, swears and spoilers are totally fine on Daily Horror Habit. <laughs> okay. I just don't want to, yeah, because I, I don't want to, you know, make someone have to bleep a lot all the time. Uh, but no, you know, watching Get Out, it was like a really like well done, messed up Twilight Zone episode. Uh, and I really liked that, and it was, you know, it was his first movie. You know, it's crazy to think some directors, when you see their first movie, it's like, holy, well, that was really good. 
Uh, and then Us, I, I think Us is a good movie. I didn't like it as much as other people or as much as Get Out. Uh, I think that uh, Lupita Nyong'o killed it in that movie. Uh, she's amazing. And, I mean, there's definitely some great tense moments in it. I think it would have benefited from being a bit more mysterious about what was going on. Uh, and, uh, and, but other than that, I mean, like he does this thing with his movies where even when there's times where maybe I get pulled out of it for a second, he has these actors that are so good that they're just kind of keeping you and, you know, fully invested no matter what. Yeah. And he's 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 a really good he's really good with actors that's something that stands out because some you know some people you know they have their horror movies or and not even just horror movies movies in general that, where they have these incredible actors but they don't really know what to do with them and you can tell he really does like pay attention to who he's cast in certain parts and how he's going to use them i mean daniel kaluuya is for example you know he, you know he's done nope and get out with him and he's so good in both and very different performances yeah but you know still like he's you know sells you i mean like in uh get out i mean there's that whole sequence where you know he's being hypnotized <laughs> and you're just like yeah, this, this poor guy <laughs> you know uh and i think that the thing with his movies which is similarish to a lot of great horror movies is that his movies aren't just horror movies i think us and nope are a bit more towards that than get out because get out i mean there i mean it's definitely it hits that horror thing once there's the reveal about what's going on but you know there's a lot more going on to it story-wise than just oh i want to i want to freak you out right um and however though with saying that and kind of going towards nope uh, I also appreciated that Nope was definitely a bit more of just kind of a, a fun, kind of almost throwback horror movie uh, that was much more focused on, I mean, which we're going to go into even just saying the spectacle. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely proven himself in the sea of some really good horror movies coming out. And uh, yeah, I know he's, he's great. Yeah, I think that you definitely nailed multiple things that we're going to unpack during the course of our chat on Nope. And, you know, one that I do want to highlight briefly before, you know, jumping into the next thing is that he it's I definitely find that with Jordan Peele, it's undeniable that with in the course of three movies, which, you know, some directors of what Peele has accomplished in those three movies, I feel like other directors have maybe needed like five movies to find this kind of theme or just this strength that is able to define their films by, right? I think it's definitely, he has a smaller body of work in terms of horror films, but he's very clearly established something that he's very good at, which is something you noted, which is he takes these actors that they might not even be well-versed in horror films, but he's very clearly able to capitalize on them to their strengths, right? He knows how to use different actors that, again, horror might not be in their, you know, acting history, if you will, but at the same time, he knows how to write a script that captures their humanity in a way that by the time you get to the more horrifying elements of the movie and the more overt scares, it's undeniable that you're invested in them to a certain extent because he takes that time in establishing them as people that have, you know, their flaws, their strengths, and all these things. And 
it just ends up making the horror aspects of the film pop in a way that for some you might just write off the film as like, oh, this is just like more genre fare. Whereas with him, I definitely agree. Like he goes the distance in making this feel like a series of horrible events that are happening to real people, which is not always the case with a lot of horror movies. I would also say he has this undeniable talent of creating movies that from the outside looking in immediately elicit a what the fuck is this kind of moment or just (laughs) what the fuck is this entire thing about? This looks unlike most things that I've seen. And Nope is definitely at the top of that list. Granted, amongst the three films, I saw as little of Nope as I could in terms of the promotional materials and trailers. And you and I actually talked almost for, you know, 45 minutes before recording just about going on rants about trailers and the current state of them (laughs) and these things, uh, which I very much appreciate getting to vent about that before the podcast. But it's the type of thing where, you know, in such a short amount of time or even from a poster, right, with Nope, I had only seen the poster and the 30 second kind of teaser trailer. And just from the poster itself, that cloud with the sort of string hanging from it with the flags on it, like immediately I'm kind of like, what the fuck is this? And the the answer to what is this doesn't really matter because I'm immediately kind of like enthralled in this mystery of trying to piece together what it is. And, you know, even if it is fairly obvious, okay, he's making a film about UFOs. Peel has proved that he's able to take even the most standard of genre conventions and have something unique to do with them or something unique to say with them, which I think is why when you get to the film like Nope, which is very open about, you know, and, you know, he's even said in interviews and things like he's concerned with making a spectacle and the film even opens with that quote, right? I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. And Nope is best described as a spectacle. And yet, I find that in his kind of like setting out and making the spectacle that you can't really look away from a great deal of the time, he still has something to say in this movie, even if maybe it doesn't end up being as pronounced as Get Out or even Us to a certain extent. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. I think think we also need to address for those who only saw the first poster that there's probably a group of people who are upset it wasn't a Killer Cloud movie. You know, he could make that work. I, I, he probably, I mean, honestly, yeah, he definitely could. Uh, and the other thing I, I just wanted to say also before getting too far into it that I appreciate about him as a director, uh, he's so good at the drama, but something to not forget because, you know, I mean, you see his background and stuff. Like, all three of these movies also happen to have some great humor interlaced mm. throughout. Uh, this movie, I think, I think probably capitalizes on it I'd say the most because of just and it's natural I mean the characters that are bringing out laughs you know it's either because it's a funny situation that they'd be in and that's just a a great reaction or you know you have a character like the IT guy that's just you know out out there and and a bit goofy but he, he does a great job at balancing the humor in his movies without it coming off as, as forced and, oh, I need to make the audience laugh. Uh, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, you know, that's a great point because that's one thing I think when he was starting out in horror specifically, right? He was doing Get Out. I think that that was probably my misplaced fear was initially it was like, oh, the, the Key and Peele guy is going to try to make horror movies, which is, you know, in retrospect, very ignorant considering he's made three of probably my favorite or maybe my most memorable three horror films of probably the last 10 years or even five years. 
But, you know, that is kind of like where I was coming from initially, where I was like, well, is this just going to kind of be horror, but then there's going to be a lot of laugh or forced humors. And, you know, I definitely agree with Nope, it being distinctly funnier, but the humor is appropriately placed. It's placed in the relationships between, you know, the brother and sister, the very fact that the movie's called Nope, right? And you get that reaction where (laughs) inevitably a character looks up and sees this horrific take on the uh, the UFO, which is definitely going to be a highlight of our chat because it's probably the element of the film I appreciate the most. But, you know, having that moment where they look up and they see this horrifically fucked up thing in the sky and just go, yeah, nope, nope. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not tapping. I'm, I'm tapping out on this interaction. I think that it's so smartly placed, but there is still genuine horror in the movie that is, I mean, he sells it as well as he could sell it with a concept that is as, you know, storied as UFO or space horror, right? I mean, the ability to capitalize on a genre that has had a great deal of success and has, you know, countless hits within that subgenre of space horror or UFO horror, and yet he's able to redefine it in a way that makes it feel unique, makes it feel memorable, and makes it feel refreshing in a way that I hadn't associated with UFOs and since signs, maybe, or something along that. But one thing I want to take it back to, and again, talking about his ability to introduce these kind of like, what the fuck moments, put you in this film, make you feel like you have no idea what's going on, and then tying a greater significance to it is the intro to Nope, right? Which is the set of this show that's in the 80s. That's very much this, you know, what is it? Three or four walls kind of sitcom with a live studio audience where there's this family that has a gorilla named or a, um, a an ape named Gordy that's in the family. And we see that the ape has essentially beaten some of the cast members to death. Incredibly violent, incredibly shocking moment that kind of comes out of nowhere, right? There's no indication that this is, has anything to do with the movie that was advertised to the viewers. And yet it ends up being such a pivotal part of the film. And I mean, how was your reaction to that opening? You know, I don't even know if it's five minutes, but it's a pretty shocking opening. I mean, it is definitely, it, it just kind of, it just kind of hits. It's almost to the point where you're like, is this like a short before the movie that he yeah. did? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's a shocking scene. And I mean, as it continues on and it, you get more context to what happened in the scene, um, God, there's so much that you could unpack with it even, but I don't want to go into that spoilers <laughs> yet, but uh no, yeah, it caught me off guard uh, because you're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, we're getting ready for this, you know, alien movie. And then you have this scene with Gordy, hashtag Gordy did nothing wrong. <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, it's really, it, it is definitely the most, in terms of violence or disturb, I would say it's probably the most disturbing scene in the movie. Um, it doesn't blow its load or anything like that. Like there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in this movie. But in terms of it's just kind of a grounded, messed up, situation that happens it's definitely it'll it'll grab you i love that he opens with that moment and then i guess it would be ballsy for a director that had not proven themselves with the first two with the previous two films that they had made and that okay this is somebody that can take genre elements and can apply you know real world context to them can have a message behind it but can also be scary as fuck and you know he's earned the fact that i think he can introduce a scene or an opening like that and then move away from it and not address it again for maybe 25, 30 minutes and then reintroduce it. And it has a great deal of significance that not only ties into a character that you'll meet, but also the overall, like 
one of the thematics of the movie, which is like trauma or grief and how people react to that and grow from that, or in some instances, maybe don't. Um, and I think that that is only something that a director that really understands the type of story that they're trying to tell could pull that off. And, you know, I think that he has earned a great deal of not just respect from audiences, but trust from audiences, right? That there's going to be a greater significance to this. It's not done just to be shocking. It's done to be shocking, but furthermore, has something important to say with it. Um, and I think that it's really fascinating that that scene happens. And like you said, it, initially I was like, is this a short for like a new uh, monkey paw sort of like production company intro or something like that, <laughs> taking it one step further? A but, really elaborate intro. <laughs> <laughs> really elaborate and really fucking disturbing. Uh, but I think that going from that into a more, you know, muted scene where, you know, we meet OJ, we meet his father, um, OJ Sr. essentially, who's played by, uh, you know, Keith David, who definitely is not, not in the movie enough, definitely the man, but I wish we got a little more of him, but I love that he goes, that Peel goes from this scene that is very shocking, very sudden, very violent, and then goes into just a scene of, you know, two ranchers essentially that are going through their daily routine and you get the sense of like, okay, this is their way of life. Clearly they've both been living through this. They have their routine. They know it needs to be done. And then he follows it up with this freak moment where all of a sudden you hear this high pitched whistle, which is just like, okay, could that just be the fact they're in a valley? Like anybody that's been in a valley or kind of like the hilly countryside or mountainous country, they know (laughs) like weird echoes. Yeah. Weird echoes and weird sounds are kind of part of the, allure, if you will, of that area, kind of being one with nature. And then all of a sudden shit starts falling out of the sky and Keith David gets taken out by like a quarter. And you're kind of like, what the fuck again does this have to do with UFOs, right? That's kind of thinking about the concept of this movie that was sold. Oh, okay. So I haven't seen any UFOs, but I've seen a monkey beat somebody to death and I've seen somebody get impaled in the face with a quarter. And Peel has this way of just introducing these moments that are increasingly bizarre but the longer you're in those world this world you know it begins to make more and more sense in a way that only he could really do because everything that happens is backed up by information about characters their relationships and you know trusting in him that it goes somewhere and in nope it certainly does no definitely i i mean the thing with it and i'm sure we'll go more into this is when you have, you know, the first scene with Gordy and then you go into this, you know, and it's also a bit jarring because you start off at a very intimate scene with Gordy in this <laughs> closed off set. And then you go into this huge open range. And I mean, the cinematography in this movie is incredible. Uh, and, you know, you have a father and son and then you have this next weird moment that happens. But if, the first thing you're thinking is like, OK, these two weird instances must be related or what, you know, at first. Um, and then, you know, you start going through it and then you realize, I mean, some, I mean, to an extent, obviously there's going to be connections to both things just because of some of the character stories and arcs in this film. But thematically, I mean, there is that bigger message, which we'll go into once we, I guess, go into the big thing. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, you know, the Gordy thing, especially, uh, and I don't know if we want to go into this yet or not, but, you know, there's things in that scene that are, I guess, you know, one would see as peculiar, which a character, one of the main characters does in the movie. And you start thinking like, okay, well, 
does that mean because it had something to do with, you know, UFO or whatever, or what, what's, you know, going on there and why is this particular thing sat like it is? And you're trying to, you know, put together what's going on and, you know, and sometimes, which is the great thing that he does in this movie, uh, sometimes just weird things happen and there's not really a reason. One of the moments in that movie, in that scene rather, is, you know, you have this ape that beats a cast member to death and then you just look over and you see a shoe is standing up perfectly straight pointing up into the air and it's like that never gets explained that's introduced you have characters that are kind of like i think a character addresses it at one point but it's one of those things where peel i feel like you know he so smartly applies meaning to things and then he's able to introduce one or two elements sometimes in a film that maybe don't necessarily have to have a great deal of uh, meaning, or perhaps they could. But I like that he's able to explain why something is happening in a film through, you know, exploration of the characters and their past and, you know, potentially their future. But at the same time, he's able to still have a certain air of mystery around things. Not everything has to be spelled out, which can definitely be a problem with some modern horror films in that it's like, we have a feeling that, the director has to explain everything to us. But then at the end, when there's no more mystery left, you're kind of like, oh, okay, that's along the lines of what I thought it was going to be, which then can end up being kind of like a shrug on the overall experience sometimes. Yeah, no, I I do always, I appreciate when a director is willing not to give you all the answers and give you those scenes where you go, okay, is something weird going on? Or is that just, it? it's something weird that happened, but has no real purpose other than that. Uh, I, I can, I mean, I appreciate that. I think that's a, 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 a good thing to do. And I mean, in this movie, it's with, you know, Jupe's character where, I mean, we, you see the shoe later um, and, you know, he gives his purpose and reason for why that shoe was standing that way, regardless of what actually happened. And uh, yeah, he's just, he does a, a really great, he does a great way of setting things up and having you wonder that's it's, this movie is really good with that. Yeah, I think that Jordan Peele does such a great job, again, of like taking genres and then it, whether it be, you know, obviously horror, but also like subgenres within, but still applying his own twist on things. You know, Us is very easily described as it being Twilight Zone-esque, but even in that description, it feel it's nice to see what you could describe as being Twilight Zone-esque, but done on a scale that the Twilight Zone never could be. And I think that, you know, he is a very visual storyteller in terms of his scares. And it's the type of thing that it's really rewarding to see that expanded upon in a way that, you know, it's a bizarre concept, something like us, right? And yet he expands Mm -hmm. on it in a way that every director feels like they would want to, I would assume, but at the same time might not have the confidence to do so. It, It feels unapologetic, but in the sense that it's not done so like in an edgy way, if that makes sense. It's more so just like, this is my vision and I'm going to go as large as I can with it, whether or not people are on board with that. But it has that payoff that makes it worth taking that risk in the end. And I mean, this is something I want to get into with, you know, his redefining essentially the UFO genre uh, or the general concept of UFOs, right? In that Okay, so the brother and sister have begun to see this UFO in the sky that kind of zips around their farm at night. And, you know, it's very subtle at first, right? It's just a brief glimmer in the sky, it jumps between clouds, and it's very kind of traditional. 
But then Jordan Peele almost seemingly is unable to stop himself from being like, hey, how can I make this concept that very much begins as something along the lines of like close encounters of the third kind, but then how can I make this uniquely my own? And his defining it as, okay, it's going to be a traditional UFO for the first half of the film, but then I'm really going to kind of go out there and make it my own in the second half in a way that, you know, I've never seen before. Most people, I would assume, have never seen anything like that before. And it ends up having this really unique payoff on a subgenre of horror that has been established for, you know, 50 plus years. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. I Do we, I mean, do we want to say what that is or yeah, yeah absolutely you know, we can get into I mean, it i mean because the thing is with it which makes which caught me off with the movie um because you had seen the movie prior to me and you gave me kind of a heads up about you know expectations um and so i was watching it i'm like okay yeah it starts off like a typical ufo movie and you're like okay let's see what goes on here and while it it starts that way you realize you're watching both the ufo sci-fi flick uh, mixed with a creature feature. Yeah. <laughs> and you realize this UFO is, uh, it's an animal. It's a, it's a, or whatever you want to call it. Be, the, the UFO is the alien. Um, and it's, it's really well done. And it caught me off guard. Uh, and it, it was a great way of, of you know, kind of like we were, you were going with the, the mixing of horror genres, but keeping it unique and allowing it to go in places you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think that UFO movies in general, I haven't necessarily always been terrified of the ship itself, right? I think I've always been, you know, with something like Signs, it's that moment where you see the alien walking, crossing that kind of like corridor essentially with the home video scene that makes everybody jump out of their skin. But I've always been terrified of what was inside them, but I'd never been actually scared of the concept of a UFO really. And I think that, you know, the fact that Peel plays it, not, I wouldn't say safe by any means, but he plays it traditionally for the first half of the movie and the depiction of it, right? Okay, this is a ship. It's going to come down and it'll suck you up and you'll be in the ship and you'll probably get probed and whatnot. But the fact that, He evolves on that. And the way in which, you know, the evolving on that not only furthers the audience's understanding of like what this ship actually is. And oh, it's not a ship. It's a creature that's taking this form that's most convenient for it, I assume, to, you know, traverse uh, our atmosphere and, you know, capture its prey and whatnot. At the same time, though, he evolves, you know, the inner workings of it in a way that's equally terrifying, right? Because for the first half of the movie... You're hearing these weird sounds out in the valley. You, you know, obviously Keith David gets killed by this debris that's falling out of the sky. And then the fact that you're learning that, oh, it's not just debris. It's the things that the ship, and I'm going to keep calling it a ship just, just to keep things, uh, you know, easy for the listeners to follow along with. You know, it's easy to follow along with the fact that, okay, it's regurgitating essentially uh, inorganic materials that it can't consume properly, right? But then you get the sense of like, okay, well, what's with the weird sounds that we're hearing in the valley? And then you realize that it's the screams of the prey that it's been consuming the (laughs) entire time, which if anything is the most, one of the most terrifying parts of the movie for me, especially when I went back to rewatch it because I'm like, oh, 
That's not just a weird sound. That's not just the sound of some futuristic technology. It's literally the screams of people that are, you know, being either suffocated or consumed in this long, laborious process that must be excruciating. And it makes the UFO that much more menacing. It's it's funny, too, because of the design of once it shows things that are being consumed by it. It's like an open space, but because it's, you know, it's a creature, you know, you have like these surfaces that people are getting stuck to. Yeah. And, you know, there's these like areas of it that are really, really condensed and claustrophobic. Um, and you could see the movement in all of it that makes it even that much more unnerving. And when you have the. I mean, like you said, I remember when you when you first hear the noises coming out of it, it's like, that is a bizarre UFO noise. <laughs> or then you find out, oh, it's noises, and there's a lot going on inside that thing. <laughs> it's it's trippy, and I mean, even as the movie continues, every time it, it feeds in the movie, it, it, it got me. It wasn't just like, oh, the first time I understand what's going on. Every time, and then when it has those shots inside, it's like, damn, that'd be just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, really, really cool design, and I it and, and there's and it kind of once because also once you have that reveal that it's a creature, it's even more unnerving when you're seeing it, like you know, as this disc basically floating around. Because there are times, I mean, like, especially in the beginning where you're like, okay, this is moving around like a UFO. It's like, you know, it's a ship. And then once you find out that it's not, <laughs> you're like, that movement is that much more unnerving, you know, because you're like, wow, it's like so precise in its movements. And it's, you know, when it's, it's silent, when it needs to be silent. And I think it adds a lot more to the tension once that hits that you're like, oh, it's not a ship. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even on, a, especially on a rewatch, when I went to go see it again in the theater, I was like, I was torn between, am I going to rent it at home or am I going to go back in the theater? And I was like, fuck it, I definitely have to see that in the theater one more time because it's a movie that, you know, when it's defined as being a spectacle, you know, it quite literally is in this, some of the scenes that we get to see with this, this, you know, this creature that resembles UFO and just the way in which it just basically consumes everything underneath its sort of radius and then getting to see it though like on the big screen one more time you know just the way in which it captures the valley that they're in or this open you know rural california landscape um, i absolutely love and you know there's a quality to the movie that i think allows it to pop in a way that some films that are like primarily shot at night don't in that i believe the film was filmed during the day and then they did like a post-processing thing where they applied a night filter to it, but that allows you to really, you know, identify areas within the landscape of what's happening, but also, you know, it allows those early shots of the, the UFO to play in a way that it's, it's undeniable, which I think is really a central theme with these characters, right? The fact that the characters are so invested in capturing footage of it in a way that I think, it it presents it in a way that it, and I think it's probably why I consider this to be like very much Spielberg or kind of like a love letter to Spielberg almost in a way where it's like there's no denying what this movie's about. There's no denying initially what they're seeing. And if anything, when the audience is in on it with the protagonists, 
you know, they're kind of in their shoes. They have the same level of understanding of what's happening. It makes for a film that feels more involving in a way. I don't know if that necessarily uh, makes sense, but like it just, no, it, I agree. It allows for it to be not just horror, but like almost like part adventure movie kind of where it's just like, oh, we all are on the same page that there is something there. Let's find out what it is. And I think that that helps the reveal that this doesn't end up being a traditional UFO kind of play that much better that, oh, well, we're here for a spectacle. If it was just a UFO, it's not that much of a spectacle to be seen considering we already know, you know, the capabilities of UFOs and kind of like the trajectory of what that arc is going to be. Inevitably, they're going to find a way to shoot it down or they're going to find a way to poison whatever's inside when it comes out. And it was very refreshing to have that build up, that set up, and then be presented with something that is, you know, you can't see coming, which is very rare for this type of movie. Yeah, no, definitely. And the other thing with it, having the, it be a, a bit more straightforward with uh, the story and what's going on. Uh, I think this one is in out of his three movies. I would say this one is definitely the most fun to watch uh, because you're definitely, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're into these characters, I mean, you're with them every step of the way, them setting up, trying to get these shots, people they're meeting, trying to get help and, you know, figuring out what this thing is and how they can, you know, stop it um, as well as getting proof. But then, you know, OJ also has that other side of him. I mean, you know, he thought that there was something weird about how he lost his father and now he's, they have this discovery. So he's like, so there's that other layer of him having some sort of closure in pursuing it and kind of, you know, going a little bit deeper than just, oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a flying space disc. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, I mean the acting too, I mean, Kiki Palmer and, uh, Daniel Kaluuya together are amazing. Uh, he's much, he's very reserved in this movie, but in the right ways, like you can tell everything he's feeling in his eyes alone. Um, but you know, I mean that, that reservedness though adds a lot to some of the funnier parts of the movie. Because his sister's, you know, very out there and she's, you know, when shit's going down, she's, you know, yelling and stuff. And then he's sitting there just kind of like, I mean, he's the one that delivers that. Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I just want nothing to do with what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, with the trajectory, the trajectory of where the movie's going, uh, it, it it's definitely, it's like, it's intriguing. It's fun. The characters are likable. Um, there's definitely more there. Uh, to explore character wise if you want that in your movies that stuff is there uh, but I mean kind of like you I mean you compared it before I went in to, uh, to Jaws and I 100% agree with you I, I think it's very much in that spirit of Jaws and um, I mean, we just spoke I actually just rewatched Jaws uh, at the theater and it, it's it's funny because Jaws has that you know that sense of dread and i think we even talked about it on the first episode i was here about like the estuary scene being so impactful and all that but once you get past i mean you have those horrifying moments but then you can then you get to this you know main portion of okay this is a shark hunt movie you know you have these characters that are really fun to follow and you know this going against this big thing that none of them are prepared for 
and it's it's it is fun on top of being you know intense and you're you know worried who's going to make it who's not but there is that element of adventure and you know seeing where they go yeah i mean that's the thing also that i really love about the handling of the ufo is that you know early on in the film it is kind of that you know that cat and mouse game right oh i just saw a glimmer of it oh now it's moving over here but the way in which that sort of, you know, shark and prey mentality really does play into not only the greater themes of the movie, which we'll get into, but I just think overall, like visually, it just, it taking on this animalistic quality where, you know, it hovers, it stalks its prey, and then it swoops in. And when it swoops in, it almost quite literally fills the entire screen when you're watching the movie in a way that is overwhelming. And it does feel like that, you know, that primal fear of like a shark attack where it's just like, it's pouncing on you and it's inescapable. And doing that with the UFO, rather than, you know, having it hover in the sky and hit you with a tractor beam or something, I just absolutely love. And it made, it legitimately made the UFO terrifying. It made this terrifying in a way that I have, again, never associated with these types of movies. Um, And, uh, you know, it definitely, before moving on from, you know, just me fawning over the, uh, the redesign of the traditional no, just no. UFO well, uh, well deserved. I think that this movie has, you know, as you said, it is probably his most fun movie to watch overall just because of, you know, how personable the characters are, even with a more, uh, a more kind of reserved uh, Daniel Kaluuya. But at yes. the same time, you know, these are characters that emote a great deal, even if they're not necessarily always having these, you know, outlandish monologues or just monologues in general or these things. But I think that this movie capturing the inside of what happens inside of the creature with its prey is by far one of the most claustrophobic and one of the most disturbing scenes of any horror movie I've seen this year. And just its ability to initially confuse but then at the same time, make it terrifying because it's capturing the reactions to what's happening to the prey and the victim, the victims that get consumed by it, right? You don't have to see people, mm-hmm. you know, melting or losing limbs or a ton of <laughs> gore or anything like that. You just have to hear and you just have to see the claustrophobia with which they're experiencing to feel uncomfortable. And the scene, if anything, I think it lingers a little longer than it needs to to get the point across, which you know, if anything captures that feel of like suffocation or of being, you know, compressed past your body's, uh, your body's natural limits. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it's rough to watch. I mean, the thing that's also interesting that I liked that Jordan Peele was able to pull off is, and it, it kind of goes with both inside and outside the creature is like, like, you know, you look inside the creature, it's, it's a wide space that it's using but it's compressed and so it's very claustrophobic and then like you have these scenes on this big open area that they're in in this valley but the moment that it swipes in to do its deed it 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 becomes very closed off and intimate because it's going right over you know whether it be you know oj sitting there and like not looking at it or um you know when it's sucking things up and you know, these really expansive places feel really intimate and closed off. Uh, and it's, it makes everything, you know, it, it doesn't make you feel safe regardless of like how open a shot is or where they are in particularly in the scene. I mean, one of the great scenes, in it, which I guess minus the Gordy scene would be the, 
bloodiest or so is the scene with the house when it expels everything. Yeah. Oh man. I love that scene. It is such an effective scene and you don't see anything graphic, but you know, everything that you're seeing is just what's, what's left. Yeah. And it's, you know, this house is now just covered in, you know, random items and juices and blood. (laughs) And you're just like, what the hell? Uh, but it's, it, it's so, it's so well done. And I was so happy that, uh, cause I wasn't, I wasn't really sure what this movie was going to be. So when it takes that turn, I mean, even if it ended up being a UFO movie, I'm sure it would have been fine and he would have done a good job, but adding that layer is definitely like, a, oh my God, like everything that you're like seeing is just so much more disturbing with that in mind. Uh, and the other thing with it, which I, I appreciated, is, you know, I, I, we, I don't know if I brought this up last time I was on with X, but it, it, something that is refreshing is you know, all the environments in this movie are practical. And they're, you know, they're shot, you know, you know, it's not like some, I mean, there is, act, there, there is scenes in, in, in sound stages, but contextually that, you know, that's just what they're supposed to be. But, uh, you know, there's they like have the you know Jupe's little you know Western town and everything as well, and it feels very lived in. It's not just oh we made these sets for this movie like not nothing like the farm. Everything feels like it's been there for a while, and now there's just this creature that's kind of wreaking havoc and and doing all these random weird things, but you have that groundedness of a real set, and you know this is a good example of a summer movie that. Uh, practicality adds a lot that you don't think about when you're watching these movies. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And I think it further shows just Peel's ability to make his movies feel like lived in spaces, right? Because like you said, they do a great job of establishing not only people, but places. And it kind of feels like, okay, this is just starting off as a normal day in the life for these people, which if anything is his ability to really, you know, capture that, Twilight Zone-esque feeling of it's people that are just living their lives and this just happened. The cameras start rolling on the worst day of their life, essentially, Um, which makes it not feel like it is kind of just artificially occurring. It feels like, well, this is a natural place. And then all of a sudden, this is occurring within the context of, you know, again, the worst day of their life and whatnot. But one thing I wanted to um, highlight before moving on that you mentioned was that scene where the creature is expelling essentially the inorganic material from its last feast onto that house, right? And, you know, that scene is not only visually terrifying, but you now have the context of what all this random shit is, right? It's not just random (laughs) keys and random coins and, you know, random chunks of a house or a, a fictional Western city, but it's somebody's keys. It's somebody, the change from somebody's pockets when they got sucked up off the ground and whatnot. So there's that. But then Peel, again, kind of redefines that experience of what the audience is expecting because not only is it regurgitating all of these inorganic materials, but it's expelling gallons and gallons and gallons of blood onto the house, which, you know, kind of does capture the same feeling in Jaws, right? When the boat is getting eaten, it's a sense of, oh, well, we're (laughs) safe in the boat. Oh, we're safe in the house. And all of a sudden, well, the boat's getting sunk and all of a sudden the house is covered in you know, the bile essentially of this creature that's eaten basically a small village at this point, which 
I just love visually, you know, you get that shot of OJ who's driving towards the house and you kind of get to see when the lightning flashes, you get to see like the brief outline of everything that's happening and you just see the blood rolling down and then jumping between the exterior to the interior shots of that. And of course, you know, you get to see his sister and the the uh, the fry nerd inside that are watching the blood literally <laughs> roll down the windows is just, I mean, it's all fantastic. It's just, it's Peel's ability to, you know, make a seemingly, you know, sort of stock standard situation. Oh, the, the would-be victims are trapped inside the house, but he's able to make it applied into, you know, this subgenre that just, it's, it's like any, like un, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it just, it, does a great job of just like kind of making you sit back and just go, holy shit, I have no idea what's going to come next. But if it's anything like that, I'm here for it. Hell yeah. But I think you've done a great job also of like highlighting Peel's ability to, you know, take these actors that, you know, some of them are incredibly well-known. Some of them maybe are a little less well-known, but at the same time, he's able to really pull a performance out of these people that is exactly what is needed for this movie. So for you, I guess, you know, we've kind of briefly talked mostly about, um, you know, obviously Otis and, uh, and M, but like, what are some of the other standout performances for you and Nope? Uh, I mean, everyone was, was, was really good. I think, uh, is, is, uh, I'm, uh, ant is antlers. The one that they try to, at the very beginning that they're trying to get to help them capture footage, but he refuses. Yeah. Antlers Holst from <laughs> played okay, by Michael yeah. So Wincott. An, yeah. Yeah. Michael Wincott. I, yeah. So I sometimes, I got, I, sometimes with character names, I go like, Oh man, I know the actor's name, the character's <laughs> name, and now it's too much. And I can't remember. Uh, he was a standout just in that. Uh, well, I'll go more into it later because it goes further into the story, but he, he, he's, He's necessary in that I it, he's a guy who's basically I mean when you meet him he's like editing footage to stuff that he clearly is not passionate about and he's just like going along with his day they meet him on that in the studio at the very beginning when they're shooting shooting right I think yep. is where they first yeah, kind of doing encounter a commercial. him right and then um, as the movie continues and then he gets involved with everything they're going through uh, you see him slowly become you know excited and genuinely into everything they're doing even when th there's some things that happen that are messed up that he's a witness to he's like into it because he's like oh my gosh this is this is what i've been waiting for this is what i've been wanting to to you know shoot uh you know the the i think he even says like the money shot or the big shot or the you know what i can't remember it's his like exact the once wording in a in the lifetime movie, shot the, yeah the once in a lifetime shot uh, and he was he was great. Um, Steven Yoon for sure uh, gives a great performance. Uh, it's you know an extravagant performance, but also you know you get to, he's because you know he has he has this western town that he's running and it's hokey and jokey and he's I don't know if we want to go do we want to do we want to go into his relationship with the UFO or sure yeah but, yeah let's let's go I into mean, it. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, he's he's definitely exploiting. Uh, oh, they call it. Uh, I was trying to remember the name. It's, it's Jean Jacket, right? Yeah. So they attribute um, basically this horse that was um, that was OJ's horse that his father trained him with, and all these things that was like their 
show horse they attribute that name to uh to the ufo right so i mean so steven new's character doesn't call it that but i'll just say jean jacket uh but basically he's been putting on shows uh and letting jean jacket consume horses in front of people (laughs) and you know that in itself in his story is it's it's very interesting because you know he, he went through everything with the gordy situation and this but because of what happened with the gordy situation he has this kind of false sense of being whether being a chosen one or invincibility to these these you know spectacles that he's allowing himself to go out in the open and think that he's going to be okay. I think there's even a point he kind of whispers to himself that he's the chosen one or something like that. And, uh, but at the same time, you get to see him behind the scenes of that and him putting on that performance for everybody. And you can tell he's deeply still disturbed by everything he's experienced and the impact it's had on his life. I mean, he has a, uh, we mentioned earlier, he has a, a shrine and even has the shoe of his co-star that still has blood on it. And he has it sitting up in the same position as it was when he saw it as a kid. Um, and when he's talking about the Gordy show situation, he, he gets lost and stops talking and you can tell he's still like very much there. Uh, there's scenes with him and his wife there, you know, she's talking to him and she can tell he's not, you know, he's, he's kind of back there again. And I, I'm sure some of that's because he's, relating some of it to what's going on with uh, the jean jacket but it's it's that's a performance that can come off really shallow and he does add a lot of depth to it and i i mean attribute a lot of that i'm sure to jordan peele's writing but steven yoon is, is a really good actor i, I i've i've only seen him i haven't seen him in a ton uh, i mean i watched walking dead um for a bit with him i'm not caught up with that so i don't i, I you know but he's uh he was great in that and then i've seen him in other random movies here and there but this movie he gives a really really good performance not i mean over the top when he needs to be for his you know his job but when it comes to you know behind the scenes he's very much a, a a broken man who's trying to make the best out of this gift he feels he has which you know we kind of learn is maybe not exactly the case (laughs) (laughs) but it adds a lot to like that other layer to it that then you know that starts bringing into why this whole gordy situation is so important even though you know he's involved in both scenarios there's a much more deeper meaning to both of those and um i mean something we didn't bring up which i also think is important is that, that you know there's sections of this movie that are are labeled with like the animals names. So like, it'll go through the horses and, uh, Gordy has a title card. Uh, Jean jacket gets one. And you know, there is that theme of just, you know, these animals that are, 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 are exploited for a spectacle in whatever regard they see it. And, uh, and it's in Steven Yoon's character. That's such a, I just realized I've been just going on about Steven Yoon, but his character is so central to those themes, right? Yeah, but his character is so central that you're, you know, you you get to see both sides of it where he's seen already where that spectacle can go really wrong, yet he, you know, has this moment where he thinks he could have, you know, been killed where he wasn't and that he's now taking on this new spectacle but it's you know ends up as just another animal and thinks that he's going to be you know a-okay and he starts using that and exploiting that in the same way gordy was uh and it's a you know it's it's a role that you can look at him kind of 
you can look at him as a victim. You can look at him as somebody who is kind of a dick and, <laughs> and uh, you know, manipulating a situation in a way he shouldn't be. Uh, there's a scene where that he's doing one of these performances with, uh, sorry, ramble, uh, with, uh, the, his co-star and uh, you realize survived what happened on the show. And, you know, she's, you, you get to see her and it's, you know, she's clearly been attacked by a monkey and her, you know, her face is scarred up and, uh, but she's like there to support him. But something that I actually want, what I'm bringing into it with the acting, that actress is barely in this movie. But the scene she's in, she's really good. And she says nothing. <laughs> and like, because there's this this scene where she's there and he's doing this new demonstration. You can tell the whole time she's really uneasy about it because right. she's been there. Yeah. And when things go a bit crazy you could just see it in her face it's like we did it again <laughs> um and so yeah they're definitely standouts uh the fr- the fry act the guy from fries uh i can't think of his name but angel angel yeah. it name? angel's great uh there really isn't a bad performance or anything in it everyone everyone you know brings what they need to to the table biggest complaint like i, I think i've said even on nuclear fridge uh keith david you could always use more keith david always uh but i mean he's great in what he's in and it you know serves his purpose for the intro of the film and i yeah i i think i just like <laughs> went through everybody to be like yeah everyone's I, really good <laughs> i mean hey no lot no lies detected i mean that's the thing and i'm glad that you highlighted so much of steven yoon's performance because you know his role and specifically like the gordy section of the film has been i don't know about a point of contention but it was definitely the element of the film that the most people i've talked to have been like well what does that really have to do with it that kind of just seems like this aside Kind of, but really, that's the part of the film that solidifies the thematic kind of social commentary of the movie. Probably the strongest part of uh, of that element of this movie. You know, like I said earlier, overall, in comparison to something like Get Out, I don't know that this movie is something that could stand on its thematics as you know as sturdy of a foundation. Right? I think the beginning right. of the film, it's. I kind of interpret it as, you know, you have these two black people that have this company that is clearly not respected in the industry the way that it should be, right? You see the Haywoods, they talk about the fact that, you know, they their family uh, comes from, you know, the first black jockey, that they have this lineage in, you know, in horses and raising horses and training them for filming these things. And how does how does the majority white people on set react to that? They're like... We don't give a fuck about this. And, you know, I kind of interpreted that initially as like the struggle of black creatives in largely white dominated spaces. And the fact that, you know, clearly in that instance, OJ is the expert and everybody on set treats him like he's this shit for brains horse wrangler, which he's clearly not. Um, It really moves away from that after that scene. And I thought that that was an element that could have been interesting to see how they expand upon it. But ultimately, you know, OJ's experience really does tie into Jupe's experience, right? In kind of mm-hmm. dealing with trauma and seeing how that kind of defines not the rest of their lives. Well, in Jupe's case, it is kind of his trajectory for the rest of his life. But, 
you know, OJ's own trauma and seeing, you know, his father die suddenly under these mysterious circumstances. The doctors tell him like, yeah, you know, this is a freak accident. It was a plane or something, but they can't track down the plane that the shit fell from, which, you know, if anything is just kind of just like, we're just going to write this off as a one-off and it'll never happen again. And not really ever coming to terms with that trauma of seeing that happen. Yeah. And then when you come to Jupe, right, you see how Jupe's reaction to a trauma, right, of living through watching this massacre of several of his co-stars on this real- uh, this uh, sitcom that he was on in the 80s. And, you know, how does he react to that trauma? Well, he basically exploits it, right? He saw that yeah. through that experience, well, maybe he took the shoe standing up as like he has this holy power. So if there was one person to try to, you know, continue to tame wild animals for one's own personal gain, it would be him. But then, of course, you know, he inevitably meets Jean Jacket and learns that, you know, that he has to pay that tab essentially by being consumed <laughs> by the one beast that he yeah. could not, uh, he couldn't fully tame. Uh, and I think that right. just, you know, the film in general, its approach to how, you know, people respond differently to grief or trauma or PTSD and these things and can go in very different directions. Um, and I think that it's interesting, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, characters that could be either bad people or flawed people, but you still see moments of their humanity of the fact that, you know, they are real people that, you know, they might not always be doing things that have the best of intentions, but they are still people. And you get those glimmers of them of being, you know, genuine people that have real emotions. And I mean, I think that one scene with Jupe that really stands out to me is when he's showing uh, OJ and M his kind of like um, his memorabilia from the Gordy show that he was on. And, you know, initially right. it's kind of like, oh, look at all of these fantastic things that, uh, you know, basically people will pay money for to hang out in here and I'll give tours to tourists and these things for these crazy cash sums. But how does he live through that trauma? He lives through it of like an SNL skit that they did on it, right? And that's kind of like his ability to talk about it, to live the moment. But then you still get those flashes of him kind of like living in the moment and seeing how fucked up it was and how traumatizing it was for him. And, you know, that's the only way that he can really access that memory, um, which, you know, is equally you know, sad and, you know, revealing of him as a person. And yet he still thinks that he can tame this unknown extraterrestrial. Yeah, no, he, the thing with that scene also, when he's like giving the tour to uh, M and OJ, you know, M's like all, you know, she's excited about it and like really, you know, happy to, and like kind of thrilled to see all this. I mean, as he continues with his story, they definitely kind of start getting quiet and like, Oh yeah, this was, <laughs> this was not good. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, Stephen Yoon, you know, he starts off, you know, kind of like you said, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, people pay a bunch of money to come see all this stuff, you know, and he's like kind of chipper and stuff, you know, he's kind of sipping on a drink. And then like, as he continues, it's just like, yeah, that <laughs> happened. And it was absolutely horrible. And I mean, the thing also that I, I, I like about the contrast between Gordy and Jean Jacket is, you know, with Gordy, I mean, the big thing with it was what sets him off is a balloon like explodes like a balloon pops in the room and it, it, it scares him into you know doing you know acting out where with jean jacket you know he's in this big open space that he feels he has he feels he has control of and that he you know he won't have that balloon 
uh, that goes off. And I mean, it's just kind of a, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure there's a little bit of a commentary of you can never a hundred percent fully control nature and you know, what a animal is capable of and going to do, which, you know, is really important to the movie, especially with, you know, OJ because OJ has been working with animals his whole life. And, you know, you really get to, he gets to understand it on a different, on, on a level that's, you know, maybe higher than other people in the movie because he, he you know, he works with horses all the time. And, it, like that scene in the beginning like you were saying you know he's he's telling people you know you got to back up from this horse and you got to not do that and not get in its face and its eyes don't look it in the eye he's very on top of it and professional and you know no one's really paying attention because they have the you know actress that's going to be in the scene and she's being careless and then the horse has a brief little spurt where it acts out and you know then they kind of look at him like well what did you do wrong even though he's been you know trying to get them the whole time to be calm and respectful around the animal because all you know you can have the best the most trained animal in the world but you can always have something that you don't expect that might have them react in a way that could be dangerous to people i mean they're big you know like in the case of a horse you know that's a big creature i mean you hear about all the time people that like you know have horse accidents or they got kicked by a horse and all that and they don't make it or they're permanently damaged and you know when you it, having that little element to the movie of you know kind of poking the bear you know especially with jean jacket <laughs> it's uh it's you know it's a good reminder to not just assume everything's okay just because maybe something bad isn't happening at the moment when it comes to an animal because you never know what might that little thing might be that makes it go a wall and crazy on you yeah and i think that that's the central theme that really does tie together in a way that I like. It ties together the creature, um, the people with their own trauma and trying to overcome that. The fact that their lives are intrinsically tied to the idea of like trying to tame or finding a way to tame animals in a relationship that, you know, is beneficial to both parties, maybe less so in, in Jupe and Gordy's case, hashtag Gordy did nothing wrong. And um, I think also just how that ties into overall like the UFO creature itself. Right. And the fact that that ends up becoming the fact that, you know, um, OJ is the only one that really is able to understand what needs to be done to interact with the alien without being consumed. And inevitably that ends up being the reason why they're able to defeat it in the end. Right. The fact that it's like, Oh, he understands the relationship. He's somebody that, is respectful of the relationship, not only with that creature, but with, you know, all animals in general, right? He obviously comes from that background. He understands a mutual respect. And he isn't one of those people that's like, oh, this is something that is to be tamed and is not to be respected. Um, and while, you know, this movie probably doesn't hold up as well from a, uh, you know, social commentary standpoint, if you were to try to compare it to his past films, I think that thematically, it's probably one of the stronger ones in that regard and that it just, it feels like a film that really ties that into almost every character and definitely, you know, the main plot of the film itself in a way that, um, I don't know. I find that some people I've talked to, they've been kind of like confused by this movie in terms of like, well, or even in some instances, uh, disappointed. They're saying like, well, you know, it's not as well constructed as his other movies. It doesn't have a lot to say when, you know, I think that, Again, Peel consistently reiterating the type of filmmaker he is and his ability to, you know, have this very 
shocking and you know terrifying imagery, but at the same time having something to say whether or not it's commenting on you know current events or even you know just in general like people and humanity's sort of relationship with the not to get too like green but like humanity and you know earth and the things that are inhabitants on it other than ourselves um i found to be just an interesting thing to tackle in a film that you know by and large you could easily describe as like just another ufo movie but in watching it you see that there's these multiple layers of complex complexity to it that uh kind of make it a little bit more than just that right and i think that's why i compared it largely to like Spielberg. Spielberg is able to play in these genres. I'm thinking along the lines of Jaws, again, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but it's able to have something to say while maybe not being as uh, as dour or as bleak sometimes as a film like, uh, let's say, Get Out, right, where it's got it's facing the viewer with you know these very uncomfortable realities that doesn't always make for a fun film but at the same time has something to say and is entertaining uh, largely throughout. 100%. Yeah, the thing with this one too that I I, I mean, I, I've only seen a couple interviews with Jordan Peele where he's talking about it, but I mean, it was almost, I mean, it's almost, I mean, like there are those deeper levels, but it's almost kind of the point of the movie that it is a spectacle, more of a spectacle summer film. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there are those deeper levels. I mean, like you were bringing up earlier about, you know, the um, the industry and how uh, OJ and M's family have been treated. Because like the big thing is their grandfather, you know, being the jockey and technically the first, you know, what do you want to call it? A short film or real or moving picture. And that it's kind of they've kind of just been forgot about and not that well respected. And then there is also i mean there are those deeper levels that you know you come to the end um i want to talk about more things that happened prior to it but you have that scene with her at the well with the camera where you have her you know having those still shots that kind of could be used as like that moving picture with you know each frame just being a, a, a still photo but in motion and you have that comparison with the well camera at the end when they like are you know able to get the shot of jean jacket uh, and so that's all there like it's for people who want to look for those things but that's almost the thing that confuses me more about why so many people maybe aren't as big on it in that it's it's kind of a, a perfect movie horror movie or you know sci-fi adventure movie in that if you go into it just wanting a fun sci-fi creature feature it delivers if you want one of those with just, you know, a bit more to the characters and depth, it's all there. Uh, you know, it, it may not delve as heavily into it as his last two movies, but I don't think by any means that makes it lesser. Right. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it, it was, a, I, I, I thought it was a really cool choice that he went that way because it caught me off guard. Oh, yeah. Uh, because especially when you watch us and get out is because that's all so heavily ingrained into those stories, not to, you know, a bad extent, like it's all very natural and, you know, it's there. But in this movie I, that caught me off guard that they're like, oh, wow, this is there. He's going for, you know, just like a, <laughs> a, a, a creature alien movie. And I, I appreciated that about it. Uh, but 
like I mean, like we've been saying, it, that doesn't diminish the details that are there and, you know, some of the messages that are there. It's just not the focus. The focus is these characters coming together and trying to, you know, get the that, you know, money shot. Yeah, I think that it's definitely the type of film that, it you know, this being his uh, his junior, you know, his junior film in terms <laughs> junior of year. junior year film. Um, for his, you know, recent run in horror, it's the type of thing where it's like, I, I didn't understand why people were, you know, it was the type of thing where I watched initially and I was taken aback because, you know, I had a preconceived notion of what he was going to do either thematically or tonally or just, you know, having something that was a little more grounded almost, you know what I mean? With Get Out, of course, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, Us – there's supernatural elements to both of those movies, but they do feel a little more grounded, right? But with something like yes. Nope, where, you know, you get into that spectacle nature of it and the, that not only does the environment, you know, scale, but also the body count considerably considering, you know, all the people that, that get consumed by this creature <laughs> and quite literally at the yeah. end of the movie when it reveals itself and expands into what kind of looks like. I don't know, and this it's going to sound like a knock on the creature design, but it's really not. It kind of just looks like cloth that's floating in the air, but it's actually a living organism. Um, I think that like jellyfish-ish. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Exactly. <laughs> like, jellyfish is actually like, a great. Like it, it actually does look cool. Like it's not yeah. a knock. It's just it's it it's weird because it's like complex but also simple. Right. And it's, I mean, just the fact that, again, you're kind of getting over the initial shock of the fact, okay, it's not a UFO. It's actually this creature that has been basically, uh, you know, coiling itself around itself almost or kind of like compressing itself and then seeing its full kind of wingspan, if you will. And the fact that, again, not only originally was it filling up the entire screen in some shots, but now it's quite literally filling it up with its wingspan, which continues to grow. It is the type of thing where, you know, it's shocking the first time you watch the movie because it goes in these different directions and whatnot. But even on a rewatch, I think I enjoy the movie even more because that initial shock is gone and you're able to really just fully appreciate the fact that this just goes in the complete opposite direction than you're expecting. Um, and it really does, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, it's hyperbole to be like, well, this redefines the idea of UFOs because it is, you know, even though it is a creature and it takes on this massive form, you know, it carries itself as a UFO for a majority of the movie. Um, even in the ways that it, you know, evolves into being a predator, right? The fact that now that it's fully expanded, the way in which it kind of maneuvers around its prey and environments, um, I just found to be, you know, terrifying, but at the same time, it's got that, again, Spielberg kind of fun charm to it and the fact that he's playing with environments that are far bigger than he did in his previous two films. And he really is utilizing it in the best way possible for the star of the second half of the movie, which is, you know, Jean Jacket. Yeah, he he's it's it's really cool, too, because in so when it like before that scene like completely unfolds, you have that whole scenario with the the motorcycle rider <laughs> yeah. that you're like wondering, like at first, like they're wearing like this mirrored helmet and you're like, who the hell is this? And they kind of like their voice. It's like just some, it's just some guy, but they're on this motorcycle. And I, I like I mean, you kind of get that like whole like vibe of it. They're just 
kind of a no face supposed to represent the audience that also want to like exploit a situation right because they hear things because they ends up it's like a tmz person or yeah. something and one of the funny scenes to me one of the funniest scenes in the movie but i mean it's it's one of those more it's that little sicko in me thinks it's funny <laughs> where he he rides in after OJ and our, and our M is telling him like don't go that way because they're trying to get this shot of jean jacket and like they have this whole plan set up mm-hmm. and this motorcyclist just drives in uh, fly, crashes and flies off the bike and is just like screaming in this huge <laughs> open this, valley this broken mess yeah and and he's and he's just like sitting there just just kind of like yelling like ah you know like that was a bad idea (laughs) please come get me while they're all still kind of in position to do what they were planning and you know it 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 adds a little bit more tension because yeah it throws him off but it still manages to kind of remain a little bit more light-hearted than you know some of the you know later sequences in something like us or get out where you know there's some those are just some very messed up situations to be in and uh, and us in particular which i would i i definitely give it um over the other two uh us feels a bit more mean-spirited in what's going on mm. with you know the characters very much un- understandable and there's a reason for it as to Lup- lupita nyong'o's two selves like clashing at the end right um, but it's, you know, it, there's a, there is a lot more motivation there for that. Where in this movie, it is an animal. You're not, th- I'm, you're not sitting there thinking like, oh, it's doing all this, you know, for OJ, there's the personal reasons because of his father, but for this creature, it's a, it's a, it's an animal. That personal vendetta stuff isn't really there. Right. It just, you know, it wants to, it wants to eat <laughs> and it's, you know, going around eating. Uh, but you know, so but I appreciate it though. Even when it gets to those points, you do still have those random moments to kind of have a little bit of levity to a otherwise <laughs> bad situation to be in. Yeah, well, I think that that's part of you know when you're dealing with the antagonist of a movie that you know you I'd call it that, but in reality, you know, again, it is capturing the sense of like, okay, this is man's relationship with beasts or animals and whatnot, and. You know, it's the same thing with Jaws, which is the sense of like, well, it doesn't have that mean spiritedness to it just because it's like, well, these are just two byproducts of, you know, being on the earth in the sense that, you know, they're interacting in the way that nature intended. And, you know, we're in the shoes of the humans, of course, so we view it as being terrifying. But in reality, the back of our brain is saying like, well, in reality, this is nature. And, you know, of course, this is more of a scientific uh, science fiction edition of that or rendition of that but at the same time it's the type of thing where it doesn't have that same mean-spirited nature that you could attribute to something like in us where i guess when you think about that scene where we're inside of the creature watching it consume people it is maybe a little mean-spirited as long as we have to be in there and kind of just like living in that moment but at the same time yeah i find that you know it is a movie that is a lot easier to watch perhaps in a more of a fun, casual manner than some of the other movies because it's kind of like, oh, again, coming back to the sense that it's a spectacle. Spectacles are things that you can't look away from. And if you do have that too of an aggressive um, kind of like approach, maybe, it is the type of thing where it's like, oh, I might be inclined to look away for a moment because this is too hard to watch. But with this movie, it kind of just, it has that air of, 
adventure or wonderment to it that really does make it difficult to look away. And, you know, it helps when you have such a phenomenal cast and uh, a good sense of humor between them that really does bind these characters together. Um, and I think that, you know, again, a lot of these performances, even if they might be a little understated, like uh, OJ is in this, at the same time, he's doing a great deal through just, you know, his general presence. And what he does say, if anything, you know, has a great deal more emphasis on the importance of his history, what he's been dealing with. I think it's like six months since his father died and just where he is in the moment and seeing OJ play off against M and of course also Angel, who's the uh, the like tech nerd that hooks him up with all the equipment to capture footage of the UFO and whatnot. Um, I find it just, it makes for this really great sort of motley crew of would-be UFO chasers. You know, OJ and M obviously are related, but at the same time, you know, they live two very different lives. They're in two very different places. And yet finding or rekindling rather their relationship through chasing this UFO um, is really great because you get to see, you know, this fantastic kind of brother-sister relationship flourish in a way that's hilarious. Like they're they're uh, they're kind of like dapping each other up where it's like, let's go, baby, let's go. Like those little moments <laughs> I love because it's so genuine, right? It doesn't feel forced. It feels like, oh, this is probably what they were like as kids. And in the film itself, like it makes sense that they would be reverting to that because you get the sense like, oh, these are two people that have not kept in touch all that much over the years. They clearly have different backgrounds, different experiences. Yes, M lost her father. She also didn't have to watch him die. She didn't have to transport the body and be covered in the blood, right? So it makes sense that he is a much more muted character in this than in, you know, not only Get Out, but in other films that people have seen him in where he emotes a lot more. But I mean, furthermore, just again, the cast that's built around these two, Stephen Yoon, fantastic, of course. You have Michael Wincott, which is not in a great deal of the movie, but Every single thing he says, you know, that raspy voice of his, it just, it, it reminds the viewer almost in that moment where you kind of almost get too lost in the wonderment or the spectacle of, oh, we're chasing UFOs. We're going to set this trap to capture and all these things. At the same time, though, like his voice reminds the audience that there's like a certain amount of ominous, unknowing nature about what could happen next, which I love. Like he has that moment when they're sitting around the table before they have this kind of trap to spring on the creature where he recites, you know, the purple people eater, which I found, which like rings Rap. in the back of my mind with his raspy voice in a way that's so memorable and so creepy because it kind of like sucks all the air out of the room essentially. Cause everybody's like kind of excited at the prospect of finally filming the creature, finally getting their moment, their Oprah shot. And he's just like, mm, this could go pretty fucking wrong, pretty fucking quick in a moment that I just love. Yeah, his 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 level headedness to all of it was appreciated because I mean everyone else is just kind of you know like you said I mean they're they're just invested in getting the shot, not thinking so much about what could go wrong, which is you know kind of the same thing that happened with Stephen Yoon's character, but you know he didn't have that understanding like OJ does with it being an animal. But the thing with with uh, antlers that I appreciated and liked is because some movies. Characters make decisions, especially in horror, where you're like, no sensible person would do that. <laughs> right. His, uh, I mean, we're, in, we're past spoilers at this point, but his demise in this movie comes from him wanting to get that shot. 
but even though he's not in this movie a lot and the scenes we do get to see him in and what leads up to that moment I fully believe that he would be willing to just sacrifice himself for that shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like, oh, you needed to have someone make a crazy decision to add to the body. Like, it doesn't feel like that at all. Like, it feels very genuine of this guy's like, ah, shit. Well, here's going to be my opportunity going for it. <laughs> and and <laughs> he does it. Uh, but he's so matter of fact about everything. And, I, and like, he even almost has the essence when he's filming, like, it's very clear that Jean Jack is going to be is going in and is going to get him and he does not care. Like you could see it in his face as he's filming. He does not care. Uh, and I, I appreciated that the, he managed to make a character like that have that even that little bit. I mean, when you, cause when you first see him, he's sitting at a table, just kind of hating his job, looking at like footage of animals and stuff. And he's like, eh. I, I don't care when he's filming at the end. He's like full. You see the wonderment in his eyes and like that. He is capturing footage that he's been wanting to capture. So it doesn't even feel like, of course it's, it's a bummer. He goes out, but it feels like a win for him almost. Yeah. You see him like in pure ecstasy of his ultimate demise, which, you know, he probably views as being the savior from, you know, when he's editing that stock footage that he clearly does <laughs> right. not give a fuck about and looks like has the same amount of uh, contempt for his job that most of us probably do. But I think that that also kind of is the most hilarious depiction of the tortured artist, right? The fact that it's like, oh, I've done, I've got all these accomplishments. I never have to worry about anything again with all my success and yet completely unfulfilled with the situation that they're currently in and they're unfulfilled with their craft by some accounts like their life in general. And the only way that he's able to, you know, feel fulfillment is to be consumed by this creature that resembles a UFO. Um, and probably one of the most boss ways you can go out. He's got that hand crank camera, IMAX camera yeah. and everything, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. And I mean, I just, I mean, we could always use more Michael Wincott, right? I mean, nobody's, it's much like Keith David for me. It's the thing where I'm like, man, I could use another five minutes of him, another 15, another 30 of him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could have absolutely had some more scenes with him. He, he, he was, a, he was, just, he, I mean, that was the, the, the thing, you know, like you said, it was like this ragtag kind of random group of people um, all bring their own, you know, talents to the table. But him in particular, he's just he's he's the he's the only one there like that does not have that excitement vibe at first, right? Because you could tell. Like, I mean, like like you said, I mean, he's also has that like whole mentality of this can go horribly wrong. Uh, even though he has like that little bit of excitement in his head that oh, if they can get it done. Uh, so then when it goes to, you know, so all the scenes with him in there, yeah, he's like, <laughs> like these, like he has like the scene with the purple people eater song and he's just kind of, you know, he's, you know, more subdued kind of giving these like serious talks like, yeah, well, we're just going to have to see where this goes. <laughs> and then when they, you know, they get to it, you know, you see that all just disappear once he's realizing like I'm doing this. Uh, so it was refreshing to have that outlook as opposed to the other three who throughout the whole movie are just like, you know, we, we got to get this thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he's great. He, he's, he was very much needed in, even though he's not in it a lot, he's definitely serves his purpose. 
Well, that's the other thing. I mean, when you think about Peel and his ability, you know, we've said a couple of times now, like his ability to draw the right performance out of the right people. He's also able to do that in the right frame of time within the movie, right? You know, the focus can never really be taken away from the Haywoods relationship, right? The siblings relationship and that being the focal point of it. And then Jupe ends up being somebody that has a relationship with that family in the sense that like, okay, not only is he in their immediate lives, but also the fact that thematically, you know, he's tied to specifically OJ and, you know, M to a certain extent. And then you have them meeting up with Angel. And then I just love how Peel's able to incorporate these characters. And, you know, within the first uh, or the second shot of the film, you get to meet Antler's Holst, right? But then he doesn't show up for like 45 minutes to almost more than an hour into the movie. And yet, again, it's just, it's, and I say recycling, but I don't mean it in a negative way. Like it's recycling elements that are introduced early on that don't have a great deal of significance. Because when I saw him initially, he's the cinematographer on the commercial that OJ is essentially, you know, being degraded in as his expertise is not being appreciated. But then you're like, oh shit, that's Michael Wincott. And then you don't see him for an hour. And then he ends up being a central figure of the final act of that movie. And, you know, Peel has this way of just being very economical with the elements of his movie. You know, he doesn't lean too heavy almost into any actor, any, you know, theme or any of these elements. And yet he uses them in a way that is sometimes sporadic. But at the end of the day, when you go back and revisit it, you can see the puzzle pieces fitting into place in a way that, you know, is so much more succinct again than you would assume of someone that's only now done three horror films. Again, like in such a short period of time, I found he's someone that has been able to do a great deal and to define themselves in a way that you would assume of someone that's got six, seven, or maybe eight films under their belt. Yeah, no, definitely. And the other thing too, like kind of speaking on the, the whole actors thing something with this movie um, that I appreciate it as a difference compared to to us and Get Out is while those movies have great performances from a lot of people, uh, they're still fairly. I mean, there's there's scenes with other characters for sure, but they're still fairly focused on a protagonist. Where this movie, I mean, it's definitely OJ and M's movie, but I did appreciate that he he kept that same sort of focus but allowed i mean because steven yoon is almost another main protagonist with as much as he's in it uh and so i I did find in this movie he uh, he allowed a bit more breathing room for other actors um which is not a criticism of the last two because like i I mean like i said i mean daniel kaluuya and uh lupita nyong'o are fantastic in both movies uh, but I, I did like in this movie, it was a, a bit more of an ensemble piece. Yeah. And it, uh, and everyone has their quirks and, but still grounded, like you said. I mean, like there's those elements at times where people in horror movies, they have someone that's just such a jokester to an extent of, they're literally there for, to be comic relief. And this movie doesn't really have that with anyone. I mean, there's, I mean, all the characters, you know, there's there's natural moments where someone can be funny. There's moments where they can be very serious. Uh, I mean, I guess if you were to give it to anyone, Angel would be the closest. But even even he isn't just a stereotypical. I'm the funny guy that's just tagging along. Uh, so I I appreciate that 
he had this ensemble-ish piece, but everyone, you know, everyone was well-developed and his name in uh, Get Out. Uh, who, who he's in <laughs> my only comparison right now he's in Billy Madison and he's like kind of the antagonist of Billy Madison but he's like the father in Get Out oh um, uh, Bradley Whitford yes he's fantastic in that movie you know mm-hmm. like, like Catherine Keener too like everyone in that movie is fantastic uh, but in those movies and same in, in like you know even in like the later movies like Us you know you have uh uh uh, Tim Heidecker and some people in these side roles that all are really good. Uh, Elizabeth Moss too, uh, who are, do really good in their parts, uh, but they're very much more focused on being kind of. They are these characters, and there's not much else to them but to kind of serve the story, right. which is not a bad thing. Uh, it, it's, it's I, I realize that might have just come off kind of bad, but it's not a bad thing. There's there's always going to be characters like that in movies, but this movie managed to have like even characters that who normally wouldn't have that much depth, a lot more depth. Uh, and I think he utilized that really well in it. I, 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 I it makes me excited to see if he's gonna, you know, try to do that again with his next movie, or even if he's going to do a horror movie, I don't know. I mean, it would be a departure, but I'd, I'd hope he'd do another horror movie cause he's been doing a really good job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciated this one folk having so many characters but all of them i mean like like i've said even the gordy his his uh co-star i mean she doesn't even say anything and i mm. you know i got so much out of her for being so little in the movie it's definitely it's definitely the rare thing where it's like when a director you know their films get bigger and bigger they get more backing to do the next thing at the same time as his scope and scale increases, he's not losing a lot of texture of what he, you know, does in his smaller scare films. And um, I think that, you know, I agree, like as not only the scale and the scope of his film gets larger, you know, his attention to making characters be very personable and to really define their personalities and to have it be more so than just like a stock standard type of character, um, I think is definitely something that was a surprise with this movie. Because like you have said, um, it, the fact that he is able to have a variety of characters and, you know, some of them can be humorous. Some of them can be more serious or more ominous in these things. You really can't define them as one singular thing. And that, I think, has been one of the ne- one of the most rewarding elements of his films in that you know, as he gets bigger and bigger and it becomes more of a spectacle, which, you know, this would be of the three films that he's done recently. Um, it's the type of thing, though, that it's a spectacle, but it's never a spectacle done in disservice of characters. And that's the thing that I think gets lost sometimes when we're talking about Jordan Peele movies or whatnot. People get hung up on a lot of times, oh, is there greater meaning to this? Is there some kind of social commentary here? Is this actually scary? Is this more than just like a Twilight Zone type of thing? But in this instance, I think this film really solidifies his ability to write characters from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of experiences, and the types of things that tie into, you know, the general conceit of his horror films, um, which makes for a really unique and just overall rewarding film. And like you, I can't wait to see what he does next. Hopefully he keeps playing around in the genre of horror, but it's the thing where it's like when you're characters are so strong and your story is so strong it's like 
that's something that could transcend to other genres. Not to say that I wouldn't want him to do another horror movie, but it's just it's going to be interesting to see the trajectory of his career over the course of the next, you know, three, five years or so. Agreed. I, I, he has that thing too now that in he's. I mean, the next movie, if it wasn't a horror movie, I mean, that would, I mean, that would be that unexpected kind of move. I mean, this movie was, an, even though it is in that, you know, umbrella of horror, very different than what he's done before. And I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what he does next. I, I had that same feeling, you know, when I was watching Malignant with James, you know, James Wan's Malignant, is you have this director that he was doing all these kind of smaller, you know, personal horror movies and stuff. And then he got a bit bigger and expanded on. And now, you know, he's directing Aquaman and stuff. But even after Aquaman, we got a movie like Malignant. So I would hope that with Jordan Peele, if he does go outside of horror, that it would still be a genre he'd come back to. Uh, because, you know, I, I think if anything, that might even be a good thing because maybe he would even want to crank up the horror aspects that much more. I mean, that's how I felt when I was watching Malignant with James Wan. Is like, I, like you know, he did some studio movies in Fast and the Furious. Then you watch Malignant, and it's just so, so the opposite of all <laughs> those movies. Yeah. <laughs> like to, to an extent where I think people like even misunderstood what he was doing. Uh, you know, like I, I still cannot fathom not to go into Malignant, but. I'm always down I, I still to chat malignant. <laughs> yeah, I, I can never fathom how people can watch the first like three, you know, four minutes of that movie and not understand that there's a lot of tongue in cheek and understanding what he's doing there instead of thinking it's just unintentionally bad and and dumb and cheesy. You know, so cheese can be great. Cheese can be fantastic. You know, uh, if done right, and uh, you know, I, I think that's also something that's interesting. Actually, bringing it up with with Jordan Peele, uh, he has some very, especially like with uh, Get Out. It's a very, very out there concept. Like it's grounded in a way that it works, but you know the idea of you know swapping minds with people in and of itself is just you know if you hear that it's it's ridiculous, you know. You're just like, well, I mean, like it makes sense, but then you watch the movie and you're like, damn, like that, that worked really well and it fit everything. And then like the thing with, with this movie now with Nope is you have this, you know, fantastical creature, but he still manages to give it so many elements of how just a creature on this earth would behave and act and how it reacts to things. I mean, there's, there's elements of it expelling and thing and, you know, and moving around like a UFO that are obviously, you know, foreign, but as far as, you know, it's, a you know, it needing to eat, it can't eat certain things or it won't, you know, be able to digest it. Those are very grounded elements that keep it, you know, within the realm of, you know, where you're not going, Oh, this is just, you know, like you said, like like E.T. or something where it's just this crazy, you know, futuristic ship with these, you know, little people creature thing. You know, it's not it's not like that. It, it's still very. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say realistic because it's not right, but it feels realistic. It feels it feels very believable feels for the for the setting that is, you know, quite literally set for the viewer. Um, the, there's not a great deal, uh, and I think that that's why, you know, with Peel's films, 
He does so much legwork in establishing the setting and the people within that setting that when things truly go to hell, uh, it feels like it is a very natural continuation of events. It doesn't feel like it's dropped out of left field, whereas in some movies, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this is this character's name, that character's name. Here's a bunch of crazy monsters. And all of a sudden you're like, well, this kind of falls out of nowhere. Not only are you not invested in these people, but it's what we've been saying, right? Peel's ability to tap into whether it be, you know, real world commentary or real world sentiment or just in general, like capturing the sense of being a believable place, I think goes a great deal in terms of him selling the horror aspects of his films. Um, and, you know, I think that again, like I had said earlier, that's a rare trait to have in films that are continuously getting larger and larger and larger and having more eyes on them with every film that comes out. Um, and it ends up, you know, it seems that he's rising to that challenge each time. And I think that when you look at something like Malignant, it's the type of thing where it's like, as much as I love that movie, it is the type of film, though, that, you know, people that maybe are not as big of horror fans as us tend to take things at face value. Um, and they're like, well, this is very cheesy and corny. So this is something that I'm going to write off, which, you know, is doing themselves a disservice of one of the most fun movies of last year. Um, but I think with Nope and, you know, Jordan Peele's films in general, it's the legwork again that he does in establishing these places and these people that allows a more mainstream audience, I think, to be to buy into the concepts of his movies, um, because, you know, for a majority of his films they begin very straightforward you know they obviously they have that what the fuck intro but then you know the next 25 minutes or so of generally of his movies are spent investing in the people and their predicaments which are for the most part like relatable to some extent for the average viewer i would think and then of course when they go to this crazy you know fucked up horror side of jordan peele's brain then they already have bought into these people. So then it's a little more accessible, I think. Whereas with something like Malignant, where it leads with cheese and, you know, <laughs> genre and all this insanity right from the jump, you know, people that maybe are not willing to give more off the beaten path films the benefit of the doubt, they might be the types of people that are like, oh, well, you know, this is going to be nonsense garbage. I turn my brain off initially when, you know, then you end up kind of missing the point of the movie, which furthermore would kind of, just fuel your overall enjoyment of it. No, I, I, no, I agree. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean, like, Nope and Malignant are so different in terms of the type of movies <laughs> yeah. they are. But I do think it's, it's, there is that little bit of a relation in how they're being, getting perceived because I do see, I've seen some reviews for Nope that like kind of dog on it because it's not, like his last two right and i also think that that it just it kind of misses the point of there's like he even has a reason for why it's not as like his last yeah two. you know and it's i think it's a, yeah like i mean like you were saying i think it, like with malignant I, I think it's a disservice to them to not kind of open their eyes to what it was that he's presenting as opposed to just being like well i was hoping for something deeper <laughs> right. you know and uh I mean, I, there's not going to be too many directors, though, that can put out a summer moose. I mean, because this is almost like a summer adventure, you know, sci-fi flick. And, you know, there's not going to be too many, though, that still will remain having 
as many layers and developed characters as this one does. And I think it definitely deserves more credit in that department. It's also, I think that that generally is like a shitty way to view movies, right? You shouldn't, I, I can't stand it when I start reading a review and then the review leads with the fact that, oh, this is so much different than the last. It was like, yeah, that's fucking how it should be, right? Shouldn't you want to strive to have filmmakers and creatives and writers and these things like strive to do something that is different while still being somewhat resembling, you know, their own style and whatnot. Like I never understand those reviews or that viewpoint where it's like, well, this is just too different. It's like, uh, yeah, I fucking hope it is. Like, I don't want to keep shelling out money every year to watch or every two or three years to watch the same Same thing thing over and over. So if anything, like I would give this movie more points for going in a route that is, that feels distinctly different from his previous two films while at the same time, you know, being very different but in a way that still feels like Jordan Peele. He doesn't lose his identity as a filmmaker and as a creative by trying something new, which, you know, if it was devoid of those elements, it would end up being the type of thing where it's like, well, it feels like he's trying on a new hat of horror for the sake of doing so. Whereas this just feels like a new avenue of, you know, his creative inclinations that he's established as a filmmaker um, up until this point. And, I guess in relation to the other two films, you know, I I don't find it to be overly constructive, I'll say, in, uh, in asking you to rank the other two films because they're so different, right? I've had people ask me that and I was like, well, you just have to watch it, which I feel like is a cop-out answer and of its own. Um, but I guess, you know, we've we've mentioned elements of it that are different, but I guess overall, Nope, in his filmography – what is like the singular way that you could say the film succeeds where maybe the previous other films have not? So where it succeeds, I would say just so I can like clear, cause I did mention it briefly earlier. So like uh, I would say out of all three of his movies that us would be my least favorite. That's not to say it's not a good movie. I think it's a good movie. I actually rewatched it recently. Um, because I was like, it's been a while since I've watched it and I just, you know, I've, I loved Nope and I'm a big fan of Get Out and so I rewatched Get Out and uh, Us. Um, and I, I do think something that he's succeeded on with Nope, uh, at least over Us, is I think his, I mean, this movie has a very defined, I mean, this kind of goes with the whole nature, it's an animal thing, a very defined set of rules where us i think has a set of rules that it follows but i think i think us is the only one where i go i think miss a little bit more mystery would have benefited it i don't think it takes away from it being a, a good movie i think it's a good movie and i i still like lupita nyong'o i i i cannot believe she was not nominated for that movie uh it's crazy how good she is in it um but i think it, it definitely succeeds in setting the rules in in that regard you know better but that kind of comes with the type of story it's telling too this isn't like dealing with duplicate humans uh (laughs) but as far as where i think it succeeds both uh i definitely think like like we've been talking about a bit i think it succeeded uh in in once again not saying that the performances are bad but i think that this movie definitely succeeded more in terms of adding a lot more layers to a, a much bigger cast um 
I, well, it's not a much bigger cast, I guess, but in terms of like him focusing on more people and pe- in more characters having more screen time than maybe in his last two movies where it wasn't as focused. I think he has definitely improved in terms of, you know, not not having a character just be, oh, well, that's the bad character or, oh, this is, you know, the comical neighbor or this is, you know, in this movie, I, I, I really there's not a character I can do that with. Uh and it's not to say that's bad in those movies, but I did appreciate that very much in this one. And uh, I, th- I think it was a good blend. I think this one, as far as, because we talk about like talked a bit about the social commentaries in the other two. I, I think that this, while it's not as prevalent, I think that he still manages to have some you know important messages in there, but it flows so well into the story that I think that it, it subdues it in a way where people aren't like, you know, wanting to pick it up as much as they were with you know us and get out where it's very because it's kind of at the forefront of the stories being told as well uh where i think in this he definitely was able to kind of blend the two while also making you know a spectacle summer movie that he wanted to do uh very much improved with his use of his cast yeah i i mean i totally agree with that and i think that it's the type of thing that it's nice to see because especially when you have somebody that is, and I use this generalization very lightly, somebody that is finding their success in horror, right? And they have, you know, again, a short amount of time have established themselves as one of the more unique voices in horror at the moment with these past three films that he's done. And it's very refreshing to just see a filmmaker that is not sort of resting on the laurels of the past film success, Constantly growing, constantly pushing the expectations of what's to be, you know, uh, experienced in their films. And I think that just the fact that he takes that core concept of like a spectacle and, you know, what has one of my pet peeves with films is when he opens the movie with like a quote or like a, a definition <laughs> of something. Right. I think that right. it's nice to see a film that does that but really does take that to the core of its, you know, ideology, if you will, at almost every single facet. And it's something that doesn't just feel like marketing buzz, or it doesn't feel like something that, oh, it'd be cool to slap this kind of descriptor onto this film. And yet it being a spectacle is a term of endearment, I would say, rather than it being something where it's like, oh, look at this fucking huge mess, which, you know, granted with a filmmaker that is still relatively... I wouldn't say green, I suppose with somebody that has only now done three horror films and this being, you know, the third film that was arguably being promoted as being the biggest that they've done and ended up being that it's the type of thing where it's like, well, it would be a shame if this blew up in their face, right? Don't get too big for the type of story that you want to tell just for the sake of doing it. And don't, Mm -hmm. don't have it be like, well, yeah, this is the third film the past two were great. Now I can try something that's completely outside the scope of my actual skill set. And I find it to be incredibly rewarding and especially on the rewatch. I mean, it's a film that comes together to that idea of being a spectacle, but at the same time, you know, there's, I would say like a subtle spectacle in that, and that branching out more, having more big names in your film and your cast and whatnot. And it just, it all comes together in a way that makes for something that feels like growth in more ways than one and really does deliver, I think, on that growth in a way that, you know, couldn't say that the other films didn't succeed with their scale, but it's 
very refreshing to see a filmmaker not, you know, get uh, find themselves creating shoes that are far too big for themselves to actually fill. Well said. <laughs> no, I no, yeah, no. It's, I, I mean, it's, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, that's like a, that's a that's a great summation of it. I, I, it, it just it's you know something with Jordan Peele also that I I think that it would be, I think people who appreciate his movie should check out if they haven't. Uh, look, you should like check. I don't know if you have or if you haven't, but check out his the Halloween episodes of Key and Peele. Because there are certain sketches where you see that he would like, you can almost feel it in, in the sketch that you're like, man, this guy wants to direct a horror movie. <laughs> and, uh, it's pretty fun because like, because the sketches are all genuinely funny, but there are a couple where they go a little darker than you would expect from Key and Peele. Hmm. I'll have to check this and, out. I think for people who are fans of his that, that you should check those out. Like, I mean, like for one, uh, just to like go briefly is like the, the whole premise is uh, Jordan Peele's playing a, a make a wish kid, but everything that he's wishing for is horrible. And like the doctors are like, they, like they don't know how to react or what, like should they tell him? No, they like say like, it's like a kid that's like dying of cancer. And oh, he's I like, have seen that. I want to, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I want to watch, I want to watch like the last moments of life in someone's eyes as they draw the last <laughs> breath. And you're just like, what the hell? And it's shot really up close and personal. And, uh, there's just touches and things like in those, in those, in that series with those Halloween episodes where you go, I bet you this guy would have fun with a horror movie. And then sure enough, here we are with like three really solid movies where he's each one has gone in very different directions, but they all, you know, have a, a, a central core to them. That's very human, but also allows for some fun to be had. Even in us in get out as dark as they are, they, there is definitely entertainment to be had in those movies. And yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess it's just a matter now of, of we'll see what he does next. Yeah. And I think that uh, no matter what, you know, genre or project he chooses to tackle next, it'll definitely be the type of thing that he will use that genre or subgenres in a way that there's definitely a standout. Um, But I think that, yeah, you know, it's been great getting to chat about this film. And I feel like I was a little scattered, but it's just it's such a big film to talk I mean, about. I, I'm pretty sh- and, sure I'm, I'm really scattered here too, so don't feel bad. <laughs> it, it is the, like, all over the place. The type of film, though, that there's so much to talk about. And it's, again, it feels very distinctly different that a filmmaker could be in the third film in their, you know, horror career. And it feels like you have no idea what's on the horizon, right? I think that a lot of the time when I see a director that has been recur either solely dabbling in horror or they're, you know, have a background that differs from horror and they come to horror. It's the type of thing where it's like, okay, I'm getting a sense of the types of films they make, the types of horror films they want to make, the types of films that they probably have enjoyed in the past. And with Peel, it just, it feels like you can't really put him in a box because he will take a certain skill set that he has and really, you know, meld it into subgenres of horror or even just genres in general to something that feels distinctly different while not necessarily being too big for, you know, the scale that he's trying to attain. So I appreciate you, Stuart, once again, joining me, man, to chat about, uh, about horror in some length for daily horror habit. 
No, man. I don't, thank you for having me. I, I I apologize for any tangents that I may have gone on <laughs> because I there were quite a few. Well, I'm but, glad that you phrased this such because uh, here at Daily Horror, I love me a tangent, and I'm always uh, I'm always appreciative of a guest that will uh, that will that will ramble as much as I will about uh, about anything that comes to mind when chatting horror. No, I mean, no. That's, I mean, I, I I love talking horror with you. It's it's always it's always fun. I mean, we were we were we were going almost on an hour before this even started, <laughs> talking about it. So you know, in movies in general. So I'm, you know, and especially when a movie like this, when there is so much to you know take in with it, and it's, you know, done by a director that really does appreciate their craft. It's it's easy to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I definitely uh, once again, as I did last week, recommend people check out. Uh, the nuclear fridge, which you are uh, a third of, with your buddies uh, Jake and Matt. You guys always have very, yes. uh, very, very animated and uh, and <laughs> much like this film, it's impossible to guess where the conversation will go next. But it is uh, it is always a good time, and I highly recommend everybody check that out. So that um, is very kind of you, considering some of these conversations that we have on there are very dumb <laughs> and very juvenile. <laughs> Especially in this newest one, I don't know if I, I guess it comes out tomorrow. But um, no, no, those are very kind words. I, I appreciate it. It's uh, you know, it's fun talking with those guys. But I do, you know, I, I appreciate you having me here to delve deeper where otherwise they would be telling me like Stuart, we're, we've it's been an hour. Shut <laughs> up. <You know? laughs> I'll keep an ear out for the next time that uh, you don't get to chat about a film as in depth as you'd like, and I'll scoop you up as a guest again, it, hopefully again in the it, future. It'll happen. It'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, man. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.